0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Thank you so much for joining us today to worship online. We're glad that you're able to join with us in this way, and it's fun to comment to each other, but I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I just really miss you. I miss seeing your face. I miss us being able to be together, and I know the day will come again when we're able to to gather together, Uh, but right now... Uh, We're trying not just to, to, you know, have a service, but we want to be the church. And one of the things our church has been doing is contacting everybody in our database. And so reaching out, see if you have any prayer needs, see if you have any physical needs, and uh, maybe we contacted you and something else has come up, or maybe somehow we missed you. Would you just reach out to us by texting the number on the screen? And will you text the word care to that number? And if you need somebody to go get prescriptions for you, or you have a financial need, or you just want somebody to pray for you, if you just text the word care to that number, We'd love to be able to connect with you, even right now, today. And one of the things you know, if you were with us last week, is we began a new series called Divine Invitations. In this series, we're asking God the question, what are you inviting us into as a church, as individuals? And today we're going to continue in that series. And so will you pray with me as we open up the scriptures, that God will just open up our hearts, open up our minds to what he wants to say to us this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And I pray, God, I would, I would pray that you would fill this room, but I pray you would fill every living room with a sense of your presence, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, and our minds, that when we start to get distracted and you want to speak a truth into us, you bring our, our focus back, that, 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 God, that you would do something in our hearts and minds right now that would change us from the people we were when we started watching this right now. God, open up our hearts, open up our lives, transform us by the renewing of our minds through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're doing this series called Divine Invitations, and how do you know when you get a divine invitation? How do you know when God's inviting you into something? I don't know what things are like at your house right now, but I'll tell you right now that our standards have changed. You know, our haircuts have changed. We don't, we don't have them. Um, some of you, your hair color has changed. You know, true colors are starting to come out. For different ones of us, our, our standards in our diet have changed. At our house right now, uh, popsicle wrappers are being found everywhere. We've got four kids and I was going through DVDs the other day. Like, yeah, we sell some DVDs. And uh, I was in an entertainment center and found a wrapper for a Popsicle. I'm like, what? I, whatever. Like, normally I'd be like, who did this? And went out in the garage, I found a half-eaten bowl of ice cream, <laughs> and my thought wasn't, first of all, like, who was doing this? Like, why didn't you finish the ice cream? And so here's the ice cream, and i was out driving the other day, getting some groceries and things, and driving around, and I saw this sign on a Krispy Kreme donut. Hot now. <laughs> now, I don't know for sure, about divine invitation, but that sure felt like one. Like, what else do you need to say? Hot? The donuts are hot. Come get them right now. And so I drove into Krispy Kreme. I grabbed a dozen donuts for our family. You can judge me for my donut consumption if you want, but we got six people in our family. And I got home, and I said, listen, this is two donuts apiece, but I don't want you to eat them all at once. One donut today, one donut tomorrow. I come on to the kitchen, open up the box of donuts. Somebody's eating an extra donut. And I decide, all right, ice cream bowl, popsicle wrapper, I'm going to do something about it. Like, I'm going to find out which kid did this. And to be candid with you, I had one child in mind specifically that I was pretty confident she was the one. At our house, they're all girls, and so I'm not revealing any identities to you, but I went to this one, and I said to her, it was almost like an interrogation, like, you could have a bright light over my shoulder, Be holding a water bottle for a thirsty person, like, if you answer right, here it comes. And I said, you're going to get one chance to tell me the truth. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want the truth. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, Dad. Whatever. No guilty conscience, like that. I said, "How many donuts have you eaten?" She answered. She seemed confident. I didn't know what to do. I haven't been trained in interrogation. I'm just a parent, and so I'm trying to figure this out with the other kids, and it's always, you know, she did it, they did it. And I'm gonna give you a moment of transparency here. I'm walking through the kitchen. I don't know how your memory works, but something jarred my memory. I don't remember. it. I had eaten an additional donut. <laughs> then I remembered. I hadn't remembered, and it was all of a sudden. It was like flooded with. You know, remove the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your daughter's eyes. Like, oh, It was me. And then I ask the question, why do we snack? Why do we chase these desires that we have? And here's the reality. Each of us are on a pursuit of satisfaction. Whether it's food, whether it's our jobs, in various different ways, we're trying to find satisfaction. And when we read the scriptures, we talk about divine invitations, we see Jesus repeatedly inviting us to come to him for satisfaction. Because if anybody's thirsty... Come to me. Why doesn't he say take a drink of it? He said, come to me. Believe in me. He says, I am the bread of life. Come to me. You'll never hunger again. And he invites us to himself for satisfaction. But can I tell you as a pastor, it's one thing to preach to a room full of people in an air-conditioned auditorium, many of those people with multiple cars out in the parking lot, a bunch of food in their pantry at home, a good job. Like, find your satisfaction in Jesus. But how do you preach that in the context of suffering? Like, what do you say to people that are going through difficulty? And not just this virus. I mean, with the virus, you know, death count keeps going up every day. Unemployment going up. Small businesses closing. Like, there's some difficulty happening. But even with that, I'll tell you as a pastor, like, the other suffering hasn't stopped. So there's still people dying. There's still people getting cancer. There's still miscarriages. There's still marriages that are falling apart going to stand here and tell you that satisfaction is found in Jesus? Like, you just got to believe in Jesus. And... So here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. Can you experience satisfaction in the midst of suffering? And I believe the answer is yes. And I think our passage of scripture shows us how. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 23. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous, maybe the most famous passage in the entire Old Testament. And here's the problem with that. Because it's so famous, it becomes familiar. And because it's familiar, I might read it and it just kind of goes past you because you see, I've heard it so many times or I know it or I've already heard it preached on or, you know, I decorated my house. We live in the South. I mean, you probably decorate your house some shiplap through that verse up on the wall like somewhere or you got a coffee mug or a sweatshirt. And even if you've never been to church, even if you don't believe in Jesus at all, you probably watched a movie before and there's like a religious guy at a graveside in a black shirt and a collar. And that's the passage he's reading, Psalm 23. So here's what I want to ask you to do as we read this passage together. Will you you reflect on the phrases as we go through here? Will you let it sink into your soul? You Join me in reading it. Psalm 23, I believe it shows us how to to experience true satisfaction, soul satisfaction, even in the midst of suffering. It says this. It's a Psalm of David. And verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. Not our shepherd. Not the nation's shepherd. He's, this is personal for David. He's talking about his relationship with God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Do You need your soul restored? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... You, he changes. Now he's talking not about God, but to God. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the reality as we look at this psalm. Nobody knows the background. If you read commentaries and different Bible scholars and even different pastors... Everybody's got a theory, an idea of what historically is happening in this moment, but nobody knows. And you may read it, and you may get a picture of David. You know, this is a psalm of David, and we know David was a shepherd. He's a shepherd, then a warrior, and a king, and a sage. But you might picture him as a young boy, sitting out, leaning up against a tree with his flock, and kind of writing down these poetic words about his relationship with God, but that's not it. We know from the psalm itself that David had to write this later in life. Because a young boy who's barely experienced anything doesn't need a, his soul restored. See, you need your soul restored when, when you've been worn out by life, when you've been chewed up and spit out by life, and some of you need your soul restored. He's got enemies. You got to have lived some life before you have some, enemies. some people that slander you, some people that gossip about you, some people that, that wrong you and do, do, do difficult things to you. For some of you, you've got enemies, some of your enemies aren't even people. Some of your enemies are your anger. Some of your enemies, are the battle you've had with sin, and he's faced evil. He's been through the valley, and so we don't know the exact historical background, but we know that as he's reflecting on this, he might not be in a time of suffering, but he's at least thinking about some times of suffering. And what we do know for sure is the literary setting. A lot of times we jump into the Psalms and we don't think about the Psalms that are around them, but God put it in here. Psalm 23 intentionally comes after Psalm 22. Have you ever read Psalm 22 and then Psalm 23? Let me tell you what, Psalm 22, it's definitely a psalm of suffering. In fact, Jesus quotes it when he's on the cross, taking the wrath of his Father for your sin and for my sin. In Psalm 22, David writes this in, psalm, in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jump down to verse 7, he says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. And go over to verse 14. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast and It's a psalm of suffering. And and then he he comes, the literary context, Psalm 22 to then Psalm 23, says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then a bold statement like this, this is one of those ones we can just read past, I shall not want. He's talking about satisfaction, but not just any satisfaction, a soul satisfaction, like a deep satisfaction that's regardless of circumstances, that surpasses the understanding of those who don't have Jesus as their shepherd. See, the outline for today's message, I really have a simple message for you today. It's just one point. I want to make this point as we walk through some of these verses, and we won't do the whole thing today. But the point is simply this. You can only have satisfaction in the midst of suffering when Jesus is your shepherd. You can only have real, genuine soul satisfaction in the midst of suffering, regardless of circumstances, when Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And so that means you really only have one question to answer today. Who's your shepherd? And don't assume just because Jesus is your Savior that Jesus is your shepherd. Like you got to ask yourself the question, what is a shepherd? Like, What does it mean for him to be my shepherd? And many of us have ideas about shepherds, but most of us didn't grow up in a context where we were in an agricultural context where there were actual sheep and there were actual shepherds. And so, what is a shepherd? Some of you grew up here in the Bible. And so you just picture the play that you saw at your church when a bunch of the fourth graders got dressed up in bathrobes and they came out and it was, you heard somebody quote the scripture and the, sh- the shepherds were given watch over the sheep by night. The next thing you know, they're standing by a cute baby Jesus. Maybe you saw them in books and some child's Bible, the flowing locks of hair, and standing there holding a crooked stick, and they're clean. That's a myth. Like, I didn't grow up in church, and so when I think of shepherds, I think Mary had a little lamb, and fleece was white as snow. Like, and then it's some fairy tale picture, and some of you have a romanticized picture. But when you look at the Bible, shepherds were like the lowest position you could have. And so God condescends, comes in, and, and leads us in that way. Like, there's a reason why David was the shepherd, because he was the youngest brother. Nobody else wanted that job. They put him on the field. They forgot about him when they were coming to pick a king. Shepherds, shepherds weren't just these meek, you know, guys with the flowing locks of hair. They were dirty. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. They were warriors. There's a reason why kings are referred to as shepherds in the Old Testament. is because for, for sheep, here's what you need to know about sheep. They're completely and totally dependent. The shepherd to them was like a king, like a warrior. And so I ask you this question, who's your king, who's your warrior, who's, your lead? who's leading your life? And when you say who's your shepherd, it's like, who are you totally dependent on? And Did you notice that first phrase does not say the Lord will be my shepherd? The Lord was my shepherd. It says the Lord is my shepherd. Let me tell you as a pastor, one of the things I've experienced so many people I come into contact with, it's like they trusted Jesus in Awana, or at Sunday school, or some some moment in life that was a spiritual high for them, and then they trusted, and that's good, and they took care of eternity, and so they know they're going to get into heaven someday, but like right now, I'll handle my kids. I'll take care of my marriage. I've got my finances. I'm going to run this small business, or I'm going to deal with my boss, or I'm going to, and Jesus, I'll let you know, that's, Jesus, what? Like at conversion, he was my shepherd. Or maybe someday, when I need to get into heaven, like you handle that really important thing, but I'm going to handle all this stuff. Like who is your shepherd? Who's leading your life? For some of you, your shepherd is Sean Hannity. Your shepherd is Don Lemon. Your shepherd's the podcast you listen to all week. Your shepherd is, it's not somebody who's leading you to truth. It's not somebody who's leading you, who's trying to feed your soul. You're just hearing all the noise of society and all the things that are, and your life's being led. Maybe it's your desire for money. Maybe it's your lust. Maybe it's your own, you are your own shepherd. You see your shepherd when you look in the mirror. For Jesus to be your shepherd I heard another pastor one time give a simple observation about this psalm that totally changed the way I look at it. His name is Tony Evans. Tony Evans said, in order, in order for Jesus to be your shepherd, you've got to decide you're sheep. And many of us don't want to be sheep because, because we're proud. Because here's the reality about sheep. Sheep are totally and completely dependent. And everybody in the world is telling you, don't be sheep. Like you gotta, you lead. You lead yourself. You take care of yourself. In order, what the scripture says, you gotta, in order to even come to Jesus. You've got to realize your helplessness and your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got to humble yourself for Jesus to be your shepherd. You see here in this passage, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. But then this next phrase is so easy to read past I shall not want. It's one of those things that like we kind of focus on the Lord being our shepherd and we miss that. So the implication of that is that, so then He's going to satisfy me? Like, what does that look like? How does that even happen? And it's. It's kind of like, you ever just kind of look past stuff that seems obvious in society? Like, I was reading this week, and a lot of people are struggling with sleeping. There's a really popular sleeping pill, the FDA just said, they're going to have to put a warning label on the boxes that says, may cause drowsiness. (laughs) Well, I thought to myself, well, if I went to the store and I was looking for a sleeping pill, and on the box there was a warning that said, may cause drowsiness, I'd probably think to myself, well, I hope it's clinically proven to cause drowsiness. That's why I'm buying it. Why <laughs> is there a warning here? It doesn't even make sense. And here we read this. We read, I shall not want. And we just kind of go past it like all of us are on this pursuit of satisfaction. And he's telling us right here, it's like, here's the secret to satisfaction. The Lord's got to be your shepherd. You've got to side your sheep. And what does it mean for us to be satisfied? Because this is in the context of suffering from somebody who's been through the valley of the shadow of death, who's needed their soul restored. Who's cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But they've known what it is to be satisfied in him? What does that mean? I've really learned this from my wife. Uh, My wife, we were going on a a mission trip to visit some of our missionaries in Madagascar, Africa. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we have some, and just the story of our church, about 10, 12 years ago, uh, there was a couple in our church that felt called out to go to Madagascar to share the gospel with people who had never heard about Jesus. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead, and can give us eternal life. And they wanted to go share that news. It so changed them. And so they they moved there. And eventually some other families came there. And they went out into, literally there's no roads to get there. Like when I look and see how their passion for these people, they got out to these people. They shared the gospel with them. And eventually a few of them believed. And those few people told some other people and they told some other people and eventually some churches formed and they started getting some, some solid teaching from the missionaries and then they formed their own elders and pastors. And now today, after about 10 years of the gospel spreading, there's over 200 churches there, over 7,000 new believers. And so my wife and I were going to go there and we were going to try and encourage them and just see what was happening and our, ourselves be encouraged by just, God, the book of Acts like happening right here on this island. And, and so we went out there and they had been going through a drought. And my wife was going to teach them that the, the, the person who trusts in the Lord will lack no good thing. And that's one thing to say that to, to a bunch of Americans who are driving around in their cars with their conditioned air and their good jobs and their great educations. But they've been going through a drought and a famine. So you look somebody in the eye who hasn't eaten for a couple days. And you say, oh, if you trust in the Lord, you'll lack no good thing. Well, you, they're thinking oh, a meal seems like a good thing. And to give you the full context, my wife, she had just lost her dad about a month before we went. She's going, having a father is a good thing. I don't have a father, but I try, I mean, I say that he's my shepherd, so what does this mean? The, the Hebrew of this passage actually means you'll, you'll lack nothing. You won't lack anything. Well, She goes, I'm, well, I'm lacking a father. And she, then she showed me, she taught me, and she was teaching this to these people and then sharing it with me. It means that you'll lack nothing that your Father sees as good in that moment. Here's why that's a hard truth, because sometimes what we think is good in the moment and what God the Father thinks is good in the moment isn't the same thing. So do we trust Him? Do we depend upon Him? Is He your shepherd? And how do you know? I think as you walk through this passage, you see how you know whether or not He's your shepherd. Is He leading your life? That's the first thing, because a shepherd leads His people. Your shepherd will lead your life look at it. If you go back to the passage in verse 2, it specifically says he leads me. It says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Or Jump to verse 3. In the second part of verse 3, it says he leads, you can underline that, leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay, so then your shepherd is your leader, but then think about who's writing this. It's the Psalm of David, he's a shepherd and he's saying that God leads him. Now, that's one thing if you think about him as this meek, mild shepherd. When you think about David was a rugged dude. He was a strong guy. He was able. He was skilled in lots of ways. He becomes a warrior, becomes a king, becomes a sage. and He's not some wimpy dude that's sitting around going, will somebody just lead me around? Like, like if our society is telling David, like if you can lead yourself, pull yourself out by the bootstrap. Like you got da- they made a song about David in the Old Testament. He's the second king of Israel. The first king was named Saul. He said, Saul's killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. But he had the Lord as a shepherd. The Lord is leading his life. And one of the reasons he's famous is you go to the, the first person that he went to battle with of those tens of thousands of people that he'd killed. His name was Goliath. And you're probably familiar with the story of David and Goliath, just if you're a sports fan even. Again, you, know, you have to know the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you want to read it. But you know what happens in that story? It's not that David steps up and is like, hey, I'm pretty good with the sling. I'm a sniper. I can take you out from long distance. Well, let, me, let me show you those skills. No, what happens is David woke up that morning and he was working as a shepherd, overlooking a few sheep for his dad. And his dad said, I'm going to send you on an errand. He's an errand boy. He said, I'm going to send you and you get, take some food to your brothers out at the battle lines and bring them some cheese. And I think, he said, cheese? I like cheese. I'm going to imagine he didn't have like the cheap, you know, folded up plastic cheese. He had some like fine cheeses on a platter. He's a cheese delivery boy. Now think about that. You never know what God's going to invite you into. David woke up that morning, a cheese delivery boy. He's going to lay his head on the pillow that night. As a giant slayer. But he shows up there, he doesn't know that. When he shows up on the scene, he's delivering cheeses, he's giving food, and he hears this Philistine talking trash about the Israelites. Only the way he hears it, and the way everybody else hears it, seems to be different, because he says, this guy's talking trash, it's in the Hebrew, you can read that. He's talking trash about the armies of, and he doesn't say of Israel, of the living God. He hears this as an affront to his shepherd, to his God. And then his brothers say, when he starts asking questions about it, why don't you go back and take care of those few sheep? In other words, you're a nobody. You're not going to do anything about this. Let me tell you something else, just as an aside. When God calls you into something by faith, there are going to be opposing voices. Sometimes they're from people that you love. But he starts following the Lord. He's inquiring about this. And eventually he steps out to battle Goliath. And I love how authentic the Bible is. It records the trash talk that happens between the two of them, the psychological warfare that's happening. And Goliath talks trash. You're just a kid. You're coming at me with some sticks. And then then David, he talks trash back. But listen to what David says because it reveals who he's trusting and it reveals who his shepherd is. And it's not his skills with the sling. It's not his abilities and his experiences from the past. Look what he says in verse 46 of 1 Samuel 17. 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. In other words, this is what you're trusting in Goliath. You trust in your sword. You trust in your spear. You trust because you're a champion, because you're a warrior, because you're tall, because whatever. You're trusting in yourself. You're your own shepherd. You're trusting in your weapons. Your weapons are leading your life. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the, the, dead bodies of the, host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Not that the whole earth will know that I'm awesome and, and this whole assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into my hand. He could be bold because of who his shepherd was not because of his army not because of his spears not because of his reputation not because he was a shepherd but he had a shepherd you see there's, there's something about this story that's interesting to know As there was a conversation it was more of a private conversation that happened with with Saul the king who should have been out there probably fighting the giant and David and in it David revealed some private things You see, what you see is that there are some things that happened in David's private life before he ever trusted God in his public life. And we live in this celebrity culture where where everybody wants to step up. and You always want to be the leader, right? Like, there's no section in the bookstore for followership. Here, sheep, go over here. No, it's like, here's the leadership section. Here's the self-improvement section. Here's how you can be awesome section. That's what the world's telling us to do. Like, it's not telling us to get a shepherd. And many of us, we want to step up, and we want to lead, and we want to get on the stage. We want the lights, and we want the promotion at work, and we want to go into the battles. But what about what happened in private? And what David reveals is some stuff that happened in private before he ever stepped out in public. And David tells him a story. He says, he says when, when a lion or a bear would come and take the sheep, drag it off, I would strike it down. And then it says, and you've got to read this and try and picture it when it arose. Like, so if you ever watch an action movie and there's a fight scene and the good guy wins, right? And you think the bad guy's done. But then he starts to get up and he goes for the And he says, when the lion arose, so he's coming back for a second. Like it's one thing to fight a lion with a sling from long distance as a sniper, but then you're gonna fight it hand to hand, and then it starts to get back up. He says, I took it by the beard and I struck it and killed it. Here's the thing about that story. The point's not, David's not saying, Hey, I'm awesome. The point is, no one knew that story. That happened in private. And God had done a work shepherding David. Well, David was shepherding the sheep in private before he ever stepped out in public. See, Some of us want to step out. Maybe you don't want the stage. Maybe you don't want the lights. and Maybe you're not even looking for a promotion at work. But, but you want to know in the battle, like, God, what's the calling? What's your calling on my life? What do you want me to go to college? Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to do with my life? May, am I doing the right thing with my life? What do you, want me to, do you want us to move from this city? Where do you want? But has he done the, the private work? Some of you want to step out as warriors, and God's going, whoa, 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 before you're a warrior, i got some shepherding work I want to do. we got some lions and bears to fight before you step out and fight the giant. Who's your shepherd? Are you, are you, are you letting him speak into your life in private? Not just the big stuff, not just on public. See, Jesus says in the New Testament in John 10, calls himself the good shepherd. He says, my sheep, they hear me, they know me. They, they know my voice. How do you know his voice? How do you get familiar with anyone's voice? It's intimate communication, repeatedly. Who's leading your life? For David... The Lord was a shepherd and he was leading his life. But the shepherd doesn't just lead your life. A shepherd feeds you in your life. A shepherd will feed your mind. A shepherd will feed your mind. We know these sheep were well fed. How do you know that? Well, look, it's something we just read past a lot of times with this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Look at the verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. (laughs) Now, I don't know what you know about sheep, but green pastures to them don't look like mattress warehouse. Okay, when you come walking, it's not like, hey, there's a good place for a nap. For them, that's like all you can eat buffet. Okay, so when you walk in to a, a feast, you don't usually go, I'm going to take a nap. Like, if you put a hungry person in a feast, they want to eat. The only way the sheep is going to lay down in a green pasture if it's already well fed no longer has an appetite. In fact, there's one guy, his name's Philip Keller, if you want to look him up. He's written a book on Psalm 23, and he was a shepherd before. And he talks about sheep, and he says, The only way sheep are going to lay down is if they're totally free. And so they gotta be free from you know the worries, they gotta be free from friction with other sheep, they gotta be free from insects, and they gotta be free from hunger. We know these sheep are well fed, because the shepherd feeds the sheep. And it's true. God provides us our meals, our, our physical sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. He provides for the Israelites, manna from heaven. But we know also that He feeds our souls, feeds our minds with the truth of His Word, what Jesus said. He so my food is not just to, to eat bread. My food is to do the will of my Father. You read in, in Jeremiah, there are shepherds. They're, they're talking to people, but the stuff they're saying isn't true, and they're false shepherds. And he said, I'm going to give you real shepherds that are going to feed you. And he's talking about feeding, them, feeding their souls, feeding them truth, giving you the real word. And so I want to ask you this. What is your source of truth? And there are many people, they believe so many lies, especially in our day and age. Our church has been in existence for about 14 years. And there's literally been thousands of people who've come through our doors that come through believing false things about God, false things about themselves, false things about, about church. And then when, when they get to the truth, the truth sets them free. The truth changes your life. And we, we all, regardless of the voices that are speaking in our lives, it's like we all have these, almost like these recordings that play in our minds of things. that There might be some truth to it, but there's deception there enough to ruin your life and There's a reason why the scripture says we're all like sheep, we've gone astray. Sheep don't drift towards safety. Sheep don't drift towards, we don't drift towards the truth. We tend to drift towards, especially in times of isolation like right now. We drift towards things that are not true. Maybe not true about us, maybe not true about God, maybe not true about other people. And so those things, they destroy our lives. So you have an enemy and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he'll use deception. He's the father of lies. But, but Jesus, he is the, not only is he the shepherd, not only is he the door, not only is he, he the way, not only is he the alpha and the omega, but he is the light. And he is the truth. And he is the way that you're going to experience freedom because the truth will set you free. And so is he your shepherd? So I know for myself, I believe lies. I know there's been times when I've gone to step up on this stage and preach, and countless times, right before I'm about to get up, I think, if these people just knew. If they just knew how sinful you are. if they knew, You're such an imposter. They even, nobody would even come to church. You know what the reality is? I am sinful. And there's, some, there's a few people in our church that like think, well, you don't really sin. It's not like a big sin. It's not a big and, so, and I think, just ask my family if you want to know if I'm sinful. I'm sinful. And that's true. But you know what else is true? God's grace is sufficient. Do you know what else is true? His power is made perfect, not because I'm awesome. Not when I bring a bunch of skills to the table, but when I'm vulnerable about my own struggles that he becomes magnified in those moments, that his power is made perfect in my weaknesses, that his grace, it puts his redemption on display. And it's not saying that I should go sin in order to glorify God, but, but I, just, I do sin, and so then even God can be, he can take nasty, terrible stuff and redeem it for his glory. And I hear people say to me all the time, all kinds of lies they believe. I hear people say, I don't think God loves me. They say a hundred times, for God so loved the world. God loves people. Never made a person he didn't love. And people will say they don't think it's belie- true for them, but then when they realize it, it's like they're set free. i like people look me in the eye and say, what I've done is too gross. And they'll tell me some pretty terrible stuff. But I'll say, you know, the scripture, scripture you still got air in your lungs. God's not done with you. He's marked the days that you have on this earth. If he were done with you, you wouldn't be here anymore. He's got a plan for you on this earth. Some people say no one can know. No one can know my sin. Maybe they had an affair. Maybe they got an addiction to pornography. Maybe they stole some money. It's like, well, you think you think no one can like no one's done what you've done? See, the enemy wants to use that to trap you into a prison of secrecy. God is light. You want to walk in freedom? Bring that into the light. And I've seen people throughout the history of our church addictions broken. People that were in bondage, set free, bitterness, released from bitter forgiveness that's taken place, reconciliation of relationships, marriages restored, people trusting Christ as Savior like amazing things happening. But, but you've got to be led to the truth. Let's see what a good shepherd does is lead you to the truth. Jesus is our good shepherd. And not only does he lead us, not only does he feed us, but he restores our souls. Anybody need your soul restored today? Look at what verse 3 says. In fact, read the whole thing, verse 1 through 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That word restore means to return or to bring back. Some people think it's it's pointing to repentance. And some people think that maybe David is writing it here because you think about his life. There were times when the Lord was his shepherd, but there were times when lust was his shepherd. When he steps out onto a balcony and he sees a woman who's already married and he decides he's going to sleep with her and the Lord's not leading him in that. That causes a mess. There's times when passivity is his shepherd or he's his own shepherd and there's sin amongst his kids and he doesn't lead like a father should lead in the moment. It causes a mess in his life. And so you see other Psalms where he says, when I was silent about my sin, there was a heaviness in my bones. And he cries out, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, restore the joy of myself. He knows that God can, here's the thing, here's the thing. No matter how much mess there is, God can always restore you. Many of us are familiar with the picture of restoration because we watch HGTV. And you've seen these houses be renovated. Whether it's the Property Brothers or Chip and JoJo or, you know, Flip It, you know, Love It or List It here in Raleigh or different different shows that you've seen. And what do you love about those shows? Isn't it always the reveal? That's why they save it to the end. That's why there's so many commercials before it happens. Like, you take this old house or whatever house and it's run down and there's problems and needs to be renovated. And then what does it look like after? And here's the thing. They never restore it to what it was like before. They always restore it to something better. It's such a picture of the gospel. And what, what Jesus does is life-transforming work in our lives. that can take any mess and redeem it and make it even better than you could ever ask or imagine. But as I've watched those shows with my wife, and we love to watch some of those shows. And I watch some of those shows, I've seen the different types of houses. And you think about what happens. Some of the houses, that are just old, like they're built in the 1920s, right? And nobody's done anything to them since 1920. And the kitchen has the cabinets are falling apart and the, they've got an orange shag carpet and it's like three feet long and they've got a lime, a lime green sink and the weeds are growing up in the yard and it's just neglected. And so they come in and they freshen it all up and they change it all. Or, or there's a vandalized house. Maybe they bought it sight unseen. It's been spray painted. The windows are all crashed out. You know, there's cats and birds and stuff in there and they go inside and it smells bad and they're trying to tell you how bad it smells. And There's some houses, you know, that they, they, they look pretty good on the outside. But when they get into the renovation... There's termites or asbestos. Like There's a structural problem. There's something behind the wall. There's something internal. I think, what an analogy for so many of our lives. Some of us need our soul restored, not because of some big thing that's happened. We just haven't been walking with Jesus for a period of time, and we've drifted. And some of you might be joining online right now, and you haven't been going to church. You haven't been connected with a body of believers, and you've kind of drifted away from the truth. You drifted away, and the Lord goes, oh, I'll restore your soul. Come back to me. Some of us are like the house has been vandalized. Maybe like David, we've made some bad decisions. Or maybe some things have been done to us. He says, come, I'll restore your soul. Or Some of us were like that house, it looks good on the outside, and everybody thinks everything's good, and I haven't got a mug, I'm drinking right now. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. But you're pursuing your idols. He's not your shepherd. You've trusted him for eternity, but you don't trust him today. He says, you come, come back to me. I'll restore your soul. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. He is your shepherd. You've been walking with him faithfully, and he has restored your soul. I think it's interesting in John chapter 21, when Jesus is Peter's shepherd, that he uses shepherding language to Peter. And I want to say to you, believer in Jesus Christ, who's been walking, and he is your shepherd, the application for you today is there's a whole world out there that needs Jesus Christ as their shepherd, and you need to show them that. Go feed my sheep. Those are, those are people that he wants to redeem. Those are people that he's not willing that any should perish. How are you going to share the gospel today? Through a word of encouragement? Through an act of generosity? Like, he's done this for you, then, then go and share that with other people. But for those of you who need your soul restored, I want to let you know that we want to pray for you and that Jesus Christ can, can restore your soul. And so I want to just ask you would, you, would you right now just text the word care? Like I said at the beginning of the service, will you text the word care to the number on the screen below? And we've got somebody to reach out to you. They want to pray with you. They want to help you. And maybe you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe he's not your shepherd. You know about Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you haven't trusted him as your Savior and ask him to forgive your sins and be Lord, be leader in your life and to lead you to truth. And you can ask him to be your Savior right now. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my sin before you. And I believe your son Jesus died on the cross. He was not just the the shepherd. He's the lamb that was slain for my sins. He died on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead and he's offering me life. And I want to ask Jesus to be my savior right now. Come be the leader of my life. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins and restore my soul to you. And if you just prayed that prayer, would you text the word Jesus to the number on our screen right here? We want to give you some information about how to grow in that relationship with him. Thank you so much for joining us today, church. I want to give you some updates on some things that are happening in our church. You know, we're in a unique time, obviously, with this virus and there are unique needs. But you hear us say all the time as a church, we want to own our impact. That We believe God strategically placed us in this spot, in the city, at this exact time, for a reason. And so one of the things we've been doing because of your generosity, you've been bringing food up here and dropping it off at the church, there's been some financial donations that have been made, is we've been trying to tangibly meet some physical needs in our community in the name of Jesus to share the gospel of Jesus. And so to date, we've given over 4,000 pounds of food away to different places that are feeding needy people in our community. We've given out over 80 boxes of groceries to individual families um, at a community in need here. And some of them have been, you know, just here, we're giving out these boxes. Your family needs food. Here it is. Some of them been custom because of unique needs, even one with a specific baby formula. We supplied over $1,200 in gift cards, Food line gift cards, to different uh, families in need through our Safe Families Ministry. And some of you are familiar with that. If not, you can read about it on our website. It's something our church does. We're currently purchasing over 4,000 pounds of rice from a ministry called Rise Against Hunger. Now, usually they deliver rice around the world, Uh, to different internationally, like Haiti and Dominican Republic, they can't because of the travel restrictions. So rather than let that go to waste, we're buying it because there's a need for rice in our community and different food places around here. And so that's because of your generosity. And so I want to thank you. I want you to know that we don't want to just have a service. We want to be the church. I know some of you have even taken some of these boxes and given them to people you know. And I want you to know if if that's something that you need, we'd love to be a part of that. And you just keep giving the food. We're going to keep distributing it to people in need. Uh, But thanks for being the church Southbridge. Thanks for joining us today here online. I want to read our benediction. Will you read it with me? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, church. We love you. We'll see you next week.